When you have it, you love to see it. When you don't have it, you hate to see it. This week's episode is brought to you by Goaltending. Safe to say this top line is the best in the league. Yeah, we are. Racing and shoots and scores! Nathan McKinnon! And after 22 years, Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph, and you're locked into Burnaby Radio for October 21st, 2019. Coming up on the show, the Colorado Avalanche condemns the Eastern Conference to the depths of hell, and we'll talk about how they're doing it, and how they could still get even better, but before we the whoosh, you've got to say hello to your disembodied voices of the week. Joining us, as usual, is Earl. Hello, Earl. Hello, friends. Joining us, as usual, is Jackie. Hello, Jackie. Hello, hello. And joining us, as usual, is Rudo. Hello, Rudo. Yep. First up, housekeeping. Next week will be another podcast week because of reasons. And after that, we'll probably be on the original planned every other week for a while schedule. That's all. No other announcements. We spent the whole beginning of the season being afraid of the Avs' current road trip, but maybe they were the monsters all along. On Monday, the show goes on the road in Washington and spanks the capital 6-3. Braden Holtby gives up three goals on three shots. Not a great outing for the old stats. To Eric Johnson, Nikita Zdorov, and Nazem Kadri. Miko Rantanen added one on the power play, then Matt Nieto got his first of the year later on. Nathan McKinnon would seal it into the empty net. This game should have had a lot more garbage time in it than it did, though. Would you all agree? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Avs just put it on cruise control at about 15 miles an hour after they got up for nothing. So I really don't think it was as dangerous as it ever really looked, but they could have done better to kind of finish that game. It's always really tough when you get out to that. That was so much time to do it before the 10 minute mark of the first period. It's I even said this, there's just way too much time left. Like, this game's going to get ugly at some point. Yeah, I agree with Rudo. I think it was a little more dangerous than it actually, or a little less dangerous than it actually looked. But when you do get out to that big lead, your choices are sort of ease back the F3 and kind of play a little more responsibly. Uh, or you can try to keep scoring, and I just I don't see the upside in you know making it five nothing, six nothing, whatever. I mean, it's you know you're just going to create more problems doing that. So I, I don't think the Avs had much much of a choice really in sitting back. And I mean, it was inevitable the, that it would kind of turn out like that. Yes and no. The sitting back was fine, but five minutes into the second period, it wasn't just sitting back. I mean, they were just straight being lazy. Yeah. I mean, you know, he, I, I would imagine that intermission was just kind of a whole bunch of high fives and happy times and stuff like that. I just, I, I think it's really tough to get up for a, a second period when you're, when you're having a game like that. Yeah, you're, you're <clears throat> saying all the words that he's got to say. You know, it's a 60-minute game. We've got a, actually, we got a, a real NHL team on the other side of the ice. you got to get out there and, and play. And all the guys like, yeah, yeah, we know. <laughs> but it's for nothing, bro. Yeah. We just so. know a good team on their own ice is is gonna have a pushback. I gu- I guess you could say they could have handled it better, but it's just it's one of those games where you just at some point you're just hanging on and I think 
you would have got worried if that goal hadn't been called back on the offside, which was offside by a mile, but, you know, it did go in the back of the net, and then you would have started getting a little worried. Yeah, and that's the tough part, because if the other team does come back, then you've been cold for half an hour, and you're just, you know, it, it's it's such a bad situation to be in. You almost don't want to score so much that early, but... I mean, right, exactly. You'll take the goals. It's like of potato course. chips. You just got to eat them all. <laughs> but <laughs> it's, it's just not a fun game. It's not a fun game to watch. I bet it's not a fun game to play in. But like, yeah, the first 10 minutes is fun. But as a whole, it's just not a good hockey game. I got to go play defense yeah. for the next 50 minutes? Yeah. Gross. And it's like you got Wilson and Ovi trying to kill everybody. And, you know, that's that's probably the worst part of it is your goal number one is not getting hurt, you know, not getting in a situation where someone's going to blindside you and injure you. So yeah, let's like talk you've about, got that in the back of your mind. Let's and, talk about Sam Gerrard, who uh, sees absolutely <laughs> no, no options while he has the puck in the offensive zone and just skates for a lap and continues to see no options and skates for another lap, you know, like you do in the NHL. Um, I think that was deliberate taunting. And then... Uh, it was either his next shift or the one after Alex Ovechkin takes the opportunity to say, you're not going to disrespect my team that way. And just full body blows him up. And Sam was Well, fine, that started but, before he took those laps, Nick Dowd plowed into him behind the, the abs net and they had some work and that, that spurred on the, the double lap. So, you know, Sam's not going to take that. So he's definitely taunting him. And, he did just, and again, this too. is just dumb stuff that happens when you've got 54 minutes of garbage time. Yeah, and while Ovechkin stands over him, Sam gives him the old skate leg lock, like, nope, you're skating you too. <laughs> so, no, he didn't just take it. <laughs> which, which was good to see, because that's a, that's a devastating hit. Holy shit. Yeah. It's always nice in hindsight to be like, all right, the Avs gave Ovi his goal to make it 5-3, and it meant nothing. Because you know Ovi's going to get his, so that's about as good a time as you can hope for. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't score 82 goals. It's possible to keep him yeah, off the sheet. Yeah, you know, just 50, that's all. <laughs> it is possible to keep him off the sheet. It's not an automatic L. So the Avs were not able to be one of the 30 games he doesn't score in, but that's fine. <laughs> Probably the one in Colorado. Yeah, there you go. After they have a, have a chance to figure out some of this running around that's going on, going on in their own end. We should probably mention um, the three goals that were scored were like, they couldn't have possibly been three different goals um, on Braden Holby. The first one was just Eric Johnson from the from the point taking a shot that's not very hard and I don't know how it gets through. Yeah, that Holpy, that was just absolutely awful. It was on the ice, not going very quickly. Maybe it like bounced off the ice a little bit, but it was still pad height. Like I don't yeah. know how he missed it. The second one was just really like passes being made at the absolute end of guys' reaches, and then it hits Nikita Zadorov in the middle of the slot, who just goes, "Oh, I'm a forward now," and spins around and puts a bullet in the corner. Like, are you serious? Yeah. Yeah, that was fantastic. And then Nazem Kadri <laughs> off the rush with a shot that is, you know, 50-50, you'd like to have that save. 
And if it's the third shot you've seen on the other two went in, you'd really like to have that save. Yeah, it was a, a fun moment there where the Avs actually had a 200% PDO through seven minutes of that game. <laughs> <laughs> they were scoring at will, and they, they did get another couple of goals on the uh, on the backup, Ilya Samsonov. But uh, kind of struggled to, to put anything past him as the game went on. And and maybe that's just a lack of, you know, urgency. Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to be committed to scoring in that situation. But I, I do think Samsonov, you know, first of all, he, he's he's very good. And he, you know, he kind of shut the door down somewhat. So, Rudo, this is something you and AJ talk about quite a bit on your DNVR shows. Um, but that Colorado has to learn things. And one of those things is learning how to play with the lead. Um, it I, sure is. And I think we saw in this game that they still have some work to go in that area. And uh, later on in the week, we'll see if they figured anything out. But first, on Wednesday, Colorado dropped by Pittsburgh for a visit with the Penguins. And this time they do finally lose 3-2, but it's in overtime. So still got a point. Matt Calvert scores early on and McKinnon gets one in the third. Finally, it's Gabe Landeskog who scores the game winner on the 4-on-3 power play into the wrong net which apparently is what it takes to beat this team right now. The game saw McKinnon take an ugly hit to the thigh as well, but thanks to the magical freezy spray, he only missed a shift or two. The coaching staff also saw fit to scratch the door off. So thoughts on the scratch and, and then the game? It was a weird it's, choice. It's I... pretty disappointing. I'm not surprised like the, the abs want to get that rotation going with all the defensemen they have, but Zadorov didn't make sense as a scratch. He really hadn't had a truly bad game yet. Um, they seem to have fallen in love completely with Ryan Graves and want to play him way over his head, I think, which so far he's lived up to it, but boy, he also gets burned occasionally. I mean, yeah, there are some shifts in the there were some shifts in the Caps game that I, I'm pretty sure the, the coaching staff didn't like uh, from Zadorov, but you know Makar too. Really, you know he he didn't have a great week, let's say. Um, but it just you know it's another situation where Zadorov has zero leash compared to everyone else on the team, and you just kind of wonder what the dynamic is behind closed doors there. He also has zero leash with the officials, and I wonder if how many penalties he takes has anything to do with his status of being, you know, on the bench list, getting scratched in on in game. What was that six? Um, because like, oh, uh, he's taking a lot of penalties that are just not penalties. Yeah, but they're, but they're adding. I'm up. sure the staff knows that. So I just, I mean, unless he's doing something that they're asking him not to do to get those penalties and there's no way we could know that <clears throat> you know it just seems like getting punished for something he didn't do um you know it's it, and we'll go we'll go through another penalty he took in last in the in the Tampa game that was bad but um you know not many of these are bad penalties that he's taking most of them are just fake calls of people bouncing off him and suddenly interfering with them somehow so I, I, you know, when we went through this last year. I, I said that I didn't think it was actually the penalties 
that was getting him scratched. It's more they were asking him to do something and he wasn't doing it or asking him not to do something that he was doing. And it's, it probably has more to do with lazy play on back checks or play around the net. Well, penalties it was the excuse. It's pretty funny because then Ian Cole immediately takes two penalties in that game. Yeah, but I I agree. I don't think it's the penalties. I th- I think Bednar to some extent understands. I I think he said something when asked what was it about Zadorov not doing. Was it that he wasn't that physical in the Washington game? Like maybe he was part of that. What we just discussed they didn't handle the pushback so well maybe that was a little bit of it but all in all I agree that I, I think the leash is a little too short on Zadorov, and I'm sure there are things that we don't understand but at the same time it I don't know I don't know if that was the right time to do it too in the middle of a, a winning streak and this and that it's just it does seem silly that he's the only one that really is under a microscope and the others aren't. Right. I think that's a good way to put it because I talked about how well Ryan Graves has played and he has, he's absolutely played solidly, but in that Pittsburgh game, the second goal, Gensel just lights him on fire and walks right past him and Graves gets totally burned and they just brush it off. Like nothing happened. Whereas if that happens to Zadorov, everyone's all over it. And maybe that's true. Um, and and some of that definitely has we're 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 part of our analysis here is that that's Gensel, because the other Pittsburgh goal saw EJ and Gerard get absolutely burned, but that's by Sidney Crosby. Right. I mean, you get a little bit of a pass when it's someone that good that's ending your life. And one other thing about Zadorov, I, I think that it, by now, Jared Bednar knows what he has to do to motivate Z. <clears throat> and this obviously is a tool that he uses. And, you know, this maybe was a little preemptive. Maybe he was seeing some things that were sort of precursors of play that he, you know, didn't want to see. And, you know, he knows that, that if he pushes this button, that it's going to nip it in the bud. And, and that's that's probably, you know, the, the best case out of anything we're positing here. But I definitely did think it was funny that Ian Cole slotted in for his first game of the year here in Zadorov's place and took Nikita Zadorov penalties. He took a either a hook or a hold from behind. That was because he was behind the play and deserved it. He took a penalty for trying to blow a guy up, but not really getting him, getting him square in in a game where things were starting to physically escalate, and no, it wasn't deserving of a penalty call, but it got made. Like those are Z penalties. He was so bad that game. He couldn't skate. He couldn't do anything. I mean, he, he was just <laughs> just ruined everything he touched. And it's ten at the end of the week. He's on pace for 78 assists. Ian Cole is <laughs> plus 1,300 by the time the Avs win the Cup this year. No, he's on pace for plus 195. <laughs> it's been funny to watch Evan just like be on the laser focus plus minus watch. Just like he sees that, you know, 
Miko Rantanen makes an unbelievable individual play, and as he's doing that, Ian Cole steps onto the ice and gets a plus. Yep. <laughs> Just things like that. I mean, everything is coming up Ian Cole right now. Um, <laughs> I, I believe his personal PDO is like 130. <laughs> <laughs> that that's not a joke that's the actual number that i'm pretty sure it is yeah <laughs> so this pittsburgh game was kind of a strange one they uh when mckinnon went down that really like even though he didn't leave the game that really seemed to change things And I'm wondering, like, do you guys think that this game or the Panthers game was the bigger test? Test how? As far as overcoming something, like an opponent that was really competitive. In hindsight, it was the Panthers game. Yeah. Just because the way the Pittsburgh game ended up spooling out was Pittsburgh basically tried to play like Arizona and just smother the team. And with McKinnon playing hurt, the rest of that top line just kind of fell apart, and the Avs didn't really have that top-end push to do much about it. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's obviously the most competitive game they've, they've played all year. I mean, it's the only one they've lost, and it wasn't even in regulation, so... Yeah, they just look tired and slow in this game. It's definitely their worst game. It's always tough because it seems like you usually play Washington and Pittsburgh, you know, not back to back, but consecutively. <clears throat> and those are always two, you know, really tough buildings to play in, and, and two really tough teams, uh, you know, at, at this point in the NHL. And I, I, it does seem like whichever one you go to second might be a tougher matchup. I definitely felt like Colorado struggled in that game, but I wasn't blown away by Pittsburgh either. Like. It was kind of to me like the game against Boston was, in that you had two teams that were preventing the other from doing what they wanted, but not really able to do what they wanted either. Yeah, and Pittsburgh had scored like 20 goals in their last three games or something like that, too. I mean, it's like they were, you know, what what the Avs did to Pittsburgh should not be forgotten here. I mean, that that's a team that was scoring a lot and. You know, they really didn't get anything off the Avs. <laughs> they lost to Evgeny Malkin and continued scoring a lot. Yeah. It's just a bit of a tough spot because I don't, the Avs' defense really didn't look that great in that game. And then we'll get into no. that more as they continue to look terrible throughout the week. But the Avs prevented Pittsburgh from doing their thing because neither team could control the puck through the neutral zone. It was just a sloppy mess. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I think that's good analysis. It was it really was just incredibly difficult to get through the neutral zone for both teams. So on Monday, Colorado punched Washington in the face and then just kind of decided, eh, this game is over. Then on Wednesday, they had a, a tough matchup against a tough opponent. And still found their way into overtime, and it wasn't like you felt like you'd stolen your way into overtime. Like it was a hard-fought game, and then they get power play in overtime. Oh boy, you sure did. And I already told you what happened. You already knew what happened anyway. <laughs> but like, ooh, even before yeah. it gave up a shorthanded own goal, 
it was just like, what? What are you doing? The, yeah. po- the power play is completely inept right now. And and we're going to get to that uh, later on in the show. But I, I mentioned that the power play was game losing in the game against Florida. And it ended up not being. Um, but it totally was the the losing moment in overtime there against Pittsburgh. But, yeah, I mean, even if that hadn't happened a few times last year, it still was the kind of thing you look at and you're like, oh, no. I mean, how could you do that? Because what happened <laughs> on the power play is they, they got the puck and did zero and then left the zone and were super casual and continued to do zero and Pittsburgh just outworked them. Done. This is... Yeah. Not to get into the rest of the power play, I'll stay specific to the four-on-three situation here. There are three defenders out on the ice, and you're settling for shots from the blue line? That's just strictly wrong. If you cannot penetrate against three defenders, unacceptable. Just an ultra-casual power play. And there was... It was like, they figured, I've got two minutes, we can figure something out. And no, you have to work. You're playing an NHL opponent. And I, you know, I realize like during normal power plays that, you know, you have two minutes and it's nice to take up the time if you can and, and, you know, possess the puck. But, you know, in overtime, there is urgency built in. Like you don't need to kill time. Like the game's over as soon as you score. So you may as well just get right to it. Just go score. And there just wasn't any of that. Just just go score. Just do it. Just pretend it's a three on three with one extra person. (laughs) That sounds like a strategy. Yeah, just, just put kind of Cole out there and there. sit him at the red line. Don't even let him play offense. <laughs> <laughs> Your job, should you choose to accept it, is to chase down the puck and stand right there otherwise. Or just put a second goalie out there, even. There you go. <laughs> is, is that legal? Can you do that? Maybe that's going to be an answer to my question later. But anyway, we're going we're gonna to get into the power play in a little bit, you know, just to kind of repeat ourselves later. But first, on Friday, Florida man falls to the avalanche in overtime, 5-4, as the Panthers come out like a bulldozer in the first period. But Colorado would eventually figure it out. Lots of scoring from the new guys here. Jonas Donskoy to keep it within reach in the first. Matt Nieto on a sick feed from Belmar. And then Burakovsky got a pair. Finally, it was one-leg Mac who did what McKinnon does for the OT winner. Folks, Colorado gave up three in the first and then scored three of their own in the second and ended up winning a game their first line just failed to show up for. Is that depth? That was depth. I mean, <clears throat> Dale hit him with a pocket sand on that one, I guess. So it's that is the exact player that the Abs were hoping Burakovsky would be. And this team is legitimately scary if he can play like that even most of the time. Even some oh, of the I time. hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, given you know, the two game-winning goals last week and then this, you know, this deal here, um, you know, this is, this is some crow that, that I didn't want to eat and it's, it's being shoved in my face again. Um, yeah, let's just go ahead. He's and really, he has four he's goals. really well, fun to watch. Four goals, four assists, trailing only Mac and Migo for the team points lead. Were we wrong about Andre Burakovsky? It's way too early to say that. We've seen some 
good starts from players before. Yakupov had like five points in four games. Here's yes, you're insane if you think Burakovsky's going to keep up a point per game pace. That's just not going to happen, right? But when you look beyond the points, when you look at just his play, he's doing a lot of the little things correct. The little moves of knowing when to go to the net, knowing when to pull up, knowing when to get the puck out of a dangerous area. He's been solid. This isn't just, oh, he has a laser of a shot and that's it. Yeah, I really hated his defense at first, but he's actually back-checking now, and he's actually making some okay defensive plays sometimes, you know, a lot more than you'd think. Um, he still is a wizard at entering the zone. I mean, that's the, the guy has a gift for that, and that's something I really didn't know about him coming into the season. I, I think that's sort of the difference between him and Yak and, and Colborn is the fact that he can do stuff that's not directly related to lucky goals. Um, the way that he can enter the zone can help a team even if he's not scoring, and and you know that that's. That's sort of an extra reason to like him. <clears throat> um, well, I'll say he is a player that they need. They do need somebody that can shoot the puck. And yeah, the he has fit in really well. But you really can't judge these new players until they go through some adversity. And really, the team, I mean, yeah, everyone looks great. They've got 15 out of 16 points, and everyone's. Mm, some of those defenders don't look so great but spoilers every everyone's contributed in certain ways like this whole thing about how if a new player scores a goal it's like a goal they never had it's kind of crazy to me like through eight games last year wilson soderberg and comfort had three goals each so it's not like this doesn't happen every every year that certain players come out of the gate and they score goals. If you look at the difference between this year and last year, it's actually the defense has contributed any goals because they hadn't through eight games last year. And like, quote unquote, fourth liners, you didn't have anything from Nieto and, and Calvert at this point last year. That's really the difference, not the so-called second line, third line, middle six, whatever you want to call it, contributions. So that's going to have to continue on with a high level of consistency to really say that this is something that they've never had before. Well, I, I think if you look at what Burkowski, Kadri, and, and Donskoy have been as far as the second line, if you go back one year, you know that was Nieto, Calvert, and Soderbergh. And it's such a different dynamic as far as what one group of guys can do versus the other. Uh, I'd also and, say and I think that just, you know, it, it gives an added dimension to the team that, that we didn't have. Their time on ice is pretty low. Like, Burakovsky's, even through the games that he scored, has been low. He's had, like, a 10-minute game, a 13-minute game. So I, wor- I worry that when things get tough, he's going to be an easy one for Bednar to pretty much go away from. but I'm not buying that at all. I, I think Burakovsky is the key weapon that we haven't seen because the Ebs haven't played from behind much. 
Of course, right. Bednar's going to lean on that fourth line, those bottom lines, to grind it out defensively when they have the lead. I'm sure it's we'll get like into how well that has worked, but the reality it's is... Like, it's more like the top line. That's the line he's using. I don't think it is. I, I mean, is. we haven't seen enough of the abs trailing to really make a, a statement no. on it yet, but, but I think Bednar feels a lot more comfortable to roll the full top six in those situations this season. Yeah, for the past couple of games, that second line has been the second line in TOI. So, do you feel like he's deploying them like he deployed the Soderberg line, like kind of in that defensive kind of way? Because that would explain why they keep getting absolutely run over in shot attempts. Yeah, I think that he does it sometimes, um, and I think that's a little optimistic. But he might be trying to give him a trial by fire and saying, "This is, you know, this is going to be part of your duties." and you know, learn quick. So anyway, um, before this game, Nathan McKinnon was a game-time decision with uh, his leg being uh, attached with string and duct tape. And it's the only way to be fair to the top line is to mention that obviously Nathan McKinnon, you could see that he didn't, he wasn't explosive. He didn't have that acceleration. He he was not close to 100%. He was obviously good yeah. enough to play and score a game winner when there's lots of space, but he couldn't make that space. And the top line around him could not adjust. Yeah, I I don't know if I've ever remembered a two-game stretch where I've walked away from it and gone, man, Gabe Landeskog was bad. But he was bad against Pittsburgh, and he was bad against Florida. And with McKinnon hurt and Landeskog being the most consistent player for the abs on that top line, it just kind of, the wheels came off. Obviously, McKinnon got it done in overtime, but that wasn't the whole top line together. No, and... it wasn't. Gabe Landeskog's <laughs> reward was a, was a bench staple in overtime. Yeah, exactly. And so the, the fact that they benched Landeskog in overtime should speak for itself. Well, and, and you know, we don't really have date or any kind of intel on the road, but he was missing practices while the abs were at home, so he might be dealing with an injury that's nagging or, or something like that. At least I hope so. Just, you know, the way he looked is just not the way he ever looks. So, <clears throat> you know, I, I'd rather believe that it was something to do with a little bit of injury holding him back rather than just playing awful like that. Yeah, I hope so too. That's pretty much the only conclusion I could come up with is something has to be bothering him, which I use that as an excuse for certain If they have a bad game, well, it must be an injury, but it's just, there's really no other explanation for it. Because like you said, he might have a bad game, but consecutive bad game is like Landis. He's just such a consistent yeah. player. And and for him to well, come out and, and be consistently not good is it's a little spooky. And, and, and it, uh, it was consistently in one way in that he wasn't he wasn't really the F3 getting back a lot. And right. that that's one thing that really tells me that it could be an injury. And I think that really did hurt the line because, all right, it's like Miko is <laughs> very inconsistent when he has to do that. And I think, you know, that's as time goes by, right. yeah. <clears throat> I think as time goes by, he's going to get better at that. I mean, he's you know he's good at breaking it out when he's sort of the F three, but you know when he's the well, back checker, he's not good. The thing is, we knew McKinnon was dealing with something, regardless of what he said. Um, 
Oh, he is the... <laughs> right, exactly. But Who's Charlie? If, I don't have any horses. That's EJ's deal. If, uh, if Landeskog isn't the F3, McKinnon is the center there. He, you know, you can talk about how inconsistent he is defensively, but he understands the role of playing that defensive center, even if he's not great at it. Miko gets back there, and he just has no idea what he's doing. Right. You know, he means well, but, you know, he just doesn't, you know, he doesn't have the experience to play that role. He, he means well. He's not going back there to, oh, I have to play defense. I'm fucking throwing them. <laughs> Offense or feed, boys. But it was definitely encouraging to see Colorado just, you know, take a really strong punch from a team that they haven't had all season and then come back and just win anyway. And and some of that comes back on on Florida, who have had their own d- difficulty with with consistency in the defensive zone and getting saves from Sergei Bobrovsky. Um, yeah, it, it would be overly optimistic to pretend that's not a factor here. Um, but you still have to give yourself the opportunity to let those things play out. And Avs teams of past seasons would have not come back in the second period and and done that. Yeah, I think the mental toughness definitely appears to be there. And and in this game in particular, Grubauer kind of led the way with that. He had a couple of goals in the first that, yes, the defense was weak on, but he's sitting there going, boy, should have had at least one of those. Yeah. But he didn't cave. Yes, he did give up the one goal in the second period when four goals were scored in three minutes. So That was fun. It was an adventure for sure, but you know, he got his head screwed on. He kept himself in the game and, and the abs were able to pull it out because they didn't just kind of fold at the end of the day. This game was very interesting to me just because it it seemed like three or four or five, even games in one, just because the, the first period was just, it was awful. You know, other than, than one shift really where the abs scored, they were just, getting destroyed the whole time and then the second period they come out and dominate and other than the one mistake you know they they really won that period handily and then they ground out sort of a i don't know if they're sort of playing for the tie on the road kind of thing but they really ground out a nice third period to give them a chance to win they didn't end up scoring in that period but they they forced overtime where they managed to win there so you know, I I think you're right about the mental toughness because that third period they definitely could have reverted to what they were like in the first period and 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 blown that game. So that was encouraging. Yeah, the pushback's definitely nice to see. Even they haven't trailed much, but it is good to see that they're they're able to do it when they need to. It was the first good second period that the Avs have had all season. They've really had a hard time in the second period, and this time it was the other way. Not anymore. <laughs> and then they said, oh, that's what you do in the second period. And on Saturday, the Avs walk into a schedule loss against one of the league's best franchises and come out of it with a dominant 6-2 win over the Tampa Bay Lightning. Tyson Jones with a hat trick. Landon Skog and Kadri pitching in two with Rant and capping the night with just a hilarious play through four defenders into a backhander that the Lightning goaltender couldn't find. Tampa shot from everywhere. 46 times they did. And Pablo Franco stopped 44 of them. That leaves Colorado the last team without a regulation loss. So, one question. How good is this team? Like I said earlier, 
I don't think we really are going to know until they face some adversity. And how they get through that, how they get through either a losing streak, maybe a key injury, just something will really tell what kind of team this is. It's obviously a good team. It's great to come out out of the gate that that strong to to rack up points is going to help them a lot down the road. But judging this team and individual performances is just so hard when everything's going great. It, it just doesn't give you enough data, enough situations to really know. But so far, so good, of course. You can't be anything but happy. I mean... I- I think it's a little more, I'm a little more optimistic just because yeah, it's short term stuff, but they, you know, they dealt with a Mac injury. They dealt with the adversity and he didn't even miss a game. I mean, he 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 didn't even leave a game. His body didn't miss a game. That's true. Yeah. Well, his goals didn't miss a game. Yeah. But regardless, what what they've had this week is, is different lines step up at different times you know in one game it was the cadre line that that picked up the slack and then on, and then in the tampa game the the jost comfer wilson line was fantastic and i i think for me that's that's what gives me the most optimism is the fact that in in over the first eight games you've had different lines step up and and take up the slack for the other guy in different situations. You've had the Belmar line do some really good things in some of the games in previous So it's a, it's a lot less of a top-heavy lineup than we've seen in years past. It really looks like more of a balanced lineup. I mean, right now there's 14 guys that are on pace for 40 points or better. I mean, it's not going to end up like that, but that just sort of shows the distribution of how things are going as far as scoring and, you know, just playing good on a night-to-night basis. Well, like I said, they had that last year. I mean, they had scoring. They had goals from Kerfoot, Jost, Andrigato. I mean, they weren't 7-0-1 last year. No, but they started well last year, too. But, I mean, when everything is going right, like it is now, this team looks like a cup contender. Of course, it won't always be going right, but that says a lot. Take a team like Minnesota. If everything is going right for Minnesota, they might be a playoff team. So that's a big friggin' difference in how good this team is capable of being. Sure, they have a great cushion. That that will that's a big that will be a big help to help them get to where they need to be at the end of the season. But as far as just in a vacuum, how good are they? I don't think we know yet. I mean, look at their competition right now, and it's not very scary. I mean, at the top of the standings, you have teams that are you know kind of in the same situation as the Avs, you know, with Buffalo and Edmonton and Anaheim, teams that you know people didn't really expect to be that high, um, or even close in several cases. Um, Out of those four, Colorado is definitely the smallest overachievement. Yeah, um, but it, it, that just shows that those four teams being at the top of the standings, like where the you know where's the competition? You know who's who's gonna knock the Avs off? 
you know, we dealt with the Bruins. The Bruins are probably one of the best teams in the league right now. Um, and that was, you know, that was, that was a great matchup. Tampa, you know, Tampa is not in a playoff spot right now. They're kind of lagging a bit, but everyone, you know, picks them to win the cup. And, you know, we saw what happened on Saturday night. So, you know, maybe the Avs haven't faced that much adversity, but, you know, who's going to give them adversity out there? I mean, who can you see really giving them a tough time? Well, like we said before, that they tend to do well in an early road trip. It's usually like the home stand in December where you would say, oh, they're going to win all these games, and then they don't. It's it's early. It's been eight games. You can't say, like, what's the adversity going to be? I, there will be some. There always will be some. Unless you think I'm sure there have, will like, be, but I'm I'm looking point. at it from a competition standpoint. What team is look? You know, what teams are looking good? Even you know, maybe not exactly in the standings, but you know, what teams look like they can match up well with Colorado right now? Well, historically, we're about to see one on Monday in the St. Louis Blues. We hate that team. And then we're going to see another on Friday with with the Vegas Golden Knights. So we we might may find out real quick who exactly can yeah. this team fits. Um, but what I think is interesting about all this to me is we keep saying that everything is going the Avs way. And in terms of results, that's true. Um, it, it's riding shooting percentage a little bit right now. It's gotten kind of lucky with the goaltending outings that it's faced. Um, it's also had a, you know, a good stretch on the penalty kill to, to kind of boost it along. But like, we're seeing the top line struggle. Like and still pick up its points, but not really take over a game like we've seen it do. We've seen um, the power play just be absolutely appalling. We've seen the coverage in the defensive zone just put on the clown shoes at least twice a game. <laughs> at like, least, <laughs> like I mean, I we see flashes of this team ceiling, but we haven't seen the whole thing yet. Yeah, I mean that's the, <laughs> that's the tough thing when you're talking about competition. For me, it's like the the Avs really aren't even playing that well, and they're destroying everybody. You well, know, even it's not they, about the other teams. It's I think well, I mean they good. have to play someone, saying, right? I'm not saying they aren't good, but you're you're asking how good, and I I don't think we I don't think we can answer question. That was, I, I, mean, I, I that, think that's fair. That roboted pretty badly on my yeah. end. So just to repeat what I'm pretty sure you said, that it's too early to answer the question. And so, Of how good. I think they're good, but how good? I don't think we can answer that question yet. How good they ultimately are is going to depend on partially on how Tyson Jost performs, as we saw on, on Saturday. Recently, the the coaching staff has moved him back into the into the center position, and he has been really, really good there. He's not a hat trick yeah. good every game, but he's been really, really good there. I think yeah. that's one takeaway from this early season that I think should put in pen is keep Tyson Jost at center. And I think they're on board with that. The fact that he was the center when Comfort was added back to that line says, you know, that that that, that experiment was over quickly. <clears throat> um, but then you're also I, I, kind of resigning that he's going to be a third liner is probably the only problem with that. 
I don't What's the know problem? why that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, that's a, like that, he's, he's probably not a, a, a top-line center. He's definitely not a top-line center. I think you can say that. Uh, yeah. But he's probably not a top-line forward. Or, or a second-line forward. If you say that the reality of his career as a second-line center, this is how you build cup contenders. Look at what Chicago did for years with guys like Tara Vinen all the way down on their third line. They win their cups, and then you know he goes and gets paid and becomes a first-line player elsewhere. It. This is... I know it's well, a kind sir, of a new world for the Avs to have luxuries like this, but they finally do. Uh, we'll see. But yeah, I, I agree that, yes, that's... When you can have a third line that's quality, literally quality, yeah, I agree that's when you're getting somewhere. But the whole point to start the season was to give Jost the opportunity to produce more in this and that. Like, are we saying now it's okay if he's a really good 30-point player? I mean, I, mean, I thought it was stupid to put him on a second line anyway. I mean, that's just not his bag. He's a, se- he's a center, and he's not going to beat out Kadri or Mac. so the third the line's where it's at for Jost needs to become fix PP2, but... <laughs> That's a bit of a task. Yeah. yeah. But, I, I mean, if he ends up being a guy that can give you somewhere in the 30s for points consistently, maybe get it over 40 once in a while, and, you know, play the way that he has 200 feet so far this season, I, you know, I, I don't know how you can be disappointed with that. I mean, that's a great player to have, and that's—I mean—that looks like exactly what he's built to do. It's—it's it's night and day, really. I mean, you're not going to take back Kadri, and Jost very, very clearly is a much lesser player on the wing. So, what are you going to do? Well, even when McKinnon was maybe going to miss a game, Jost wasn't going to get the upgrade. Comfort was. No, Kadri was. I there well, is well, zero doubt in my mind. Yeah, McKinnon was never really missing that game anyway. Like they just didn't want him to practice so he could rest the leg, and it didn't matter. But see, the, these are the things that we'll see when there's actual adversity. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, both clubs. If you want to take the Eagles, you know. Other than Rosen a little bit and Cole's four games, you know they they really haven't had any injuries so far. Which so, is great. Knock on wood. Earlier, you're kind of talking through a carpet again. I don't know if, if other people are I'm hearing sorry. that. I'm sorry. Um, here, I'll blow out my microphone. No, just kidding. <laughs> you better not. <laughs> like it rip ears, everybody. Hang on. <laughs> Headphone warning. So another story from that Tampa game that's worth mentioning is obviously Pablo Francois, who, like I mentioned a minute ago, 44 saves on 46 shots. He looks, it's obviously a really small sample size, and the answer is is very obviously yes, it's too early to tell. But throwing that answer out the window, he looks legit. I mean, you know, at worst you can say he can handle this job. Yeah, he gives him a chance to win. That's for sure. You know, you want your backup to play 500 or better, and you know, it, it looks, you know, it looks like with the team in front of him that that's 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 probably a good bet with Frank now. He looks exactly like 
the guy he looked halfway through last season in the AHL. So it seems like the jump hasn't been a problem for him at all. I think the average shouldn't be afraid to roll him out ever. Anytime, if they feel like they need Groob to rest, they can have confidence in him. Yeah. They're going to have two more back-to-backs. It's funny. They're going to have three Friday-Saturday back-to-backs in a row. So you pretty much figure... (laughs) 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 Pretty much. (laughs) So would you then... You you would expect that he's going to play in those back-to-backs, right? Which pretty much gives him, like, one star a week, which is a fairly good amount of starts for a backup. Yeah. That's a, about a, somewhere between 20 to 30 game workload. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I th- you know, a lot of people were saying, like, oh, you know, Grubauer's going to play 60-plus games this year, and, I, you know, <clears throat> this is his first year being a starter, if you don't remember. Um you know, I think a, a more equitable split is, is not only good for Gruby, but it's just sort of the, the way the NHL is going now. I mean, I think if you can get Frank <clears throat> anywhere, you know, somewhere 25 starts, plus or minus some, um, you're going to have Gruba rested for the stretch and the playoffs, and that's, you know, that's exactly what you need. Which is good. I was a little worried that Bednar would kind of just roll with Grubauer through the back-to-back. So you should definitely have confidence in Frank at this point. But it's no, going to be interesting because... On his guy. <laughs> <laughs> we're so used to having the Varley factor, sort of. We're not really sure what the coaching staff exactly thinks of Varley. Um, so we're, you know, we're, we're going to get to see what happens with a backup that you know it isn't Varley or Varley isn't this starter and you're dealing with <clears throat> you know a, a backup that you can trust and a starter that you can trust in any situation it'll be interesting to see how they use these guys well, Semyon Varlamov had one of the best goaltender seasons ever a few years ago and he and Grubauer combined for some of the worst goaltending months that we've ever seen just last season so that inconsistency has just kind of always been in the in the back of our minds as watching this team. So you imagine that if if they can get some stability in net, if they don't like even this last season, if you don't go through December and January with sub nine hundred goaltending, like that's not a wild card team. I yeah, it seemed seemed like a lot of times like when Varley got bad, he got bad for a couple of weeks at least. <clears throat> and as a starter, that's tough because then you're now relying on your backup to take up that slack. And, you know, the coaches try to disguise it saying, well, I'm just going with the hot hand kind of thing. But it, it always seemed like they knew when Varley was going to be bad for a little while and they just had to deal with that. And then maybe they don't have that factor anymore. And, you know, they really can trade off starts and, you know, spot start Frank whenever they need to. I think through eight games, I'm much more comfortable with the goaltender paradigm on the team. I talked a lot last year about how the defense couldn't really mold their game to Grubauer because they had to worry about playing in front of Varley half the time. 
And this season, Grubauer looks much more comfortable. The defense in front of him, despite their sloppiness, looks much more comfortable in knowing what they're supposed to be doing. And Francois plays that more athletic style as a backup that he can kind of get away with the defense just doing whatever and, and letting him do his thing. He's quick. He sure is. And he's goofy. He does catch goofy, which is my new favorite phrase. Um, <laughs> and he has the best personality, though. Sometimes you see that that right catch kind of confuse guys. Like there, there was a, you've you've seen a couple of really good chances for the for the other way, um, where they maybe just like didn't pick much of a corner. They just kind of like you know you throw it around the, the blocker on the goalie's right side. But no, that's a glove. Yeah. Um, I mean, guys really you know they do try to pick the upper left corner, um, and it's just that's you know that's not where you want to go on Frank. Yeah. I wonder if that changes the defense any, just because it is kind of backwards. No, I don't think so. Not the way Francois plays, and I think the Avs management learned their lesson last year of just saying, "All right, figure it out, Frank. We're covering groups bases this year." Sure, that's definitely the most important. Yeah. But his quickness, his athleticism, and his goofiness um, have been a real benefit for the team because the the defense can continue to play the same way every night, even when the sh- the, the wheels fall off and you spend about a minute and a half in your own zone, going "Oh no," which is happening <laughs> too often. What's going on? Miscommunication, man. It's. I I don't want to harp on EJ because I don't think he's been that bad, but that guy needs to be the leader and the veteran defenseman that back there and talk to people, man. I know I said it on last show too, but it still just keeps happening, where whoever he's on the ice with gets confused and they end up in like right on top of each other and 75% of the ice is entirely uncovered. Yeah. I mean, if there's two guys, if there's two defensemen behind the net, you can almost be assured that EJ is one of them. And it's, you don't want that. He's been playing a lot. Too much. Yeah. It's, it's starting to get to that point. He has definitely had have seen his minutes increase as the season has kind of gone on. I think some of that might be uh, struggles. Like it, it's not necessarily that he's been playing well to earn it. It's that we've been taking time away from Kale McCarr, who doesn't deserve the ice time either, based on his past couple of games. So yeah, um, yeah, McCarr had a bit of an adventure on the ice for a lot of this week. Um, you know, hopefully learn from it. I know he, I, I think he really came out aggressively last night and then he killed the damn ref. And it, I, I think that, I, I, I think that kind of thwarted it a little <laughs> for him. Cause he just wasn't the same aggressiveness afterwards. I'm sure he felt awful. I mean, the guy, like, I don't know, it's mouth exploded or something, but. <laughs> um... <laughs> well, it's kind of like that against Boston wasn't his best game, but I think his best game of the year was against Arizona, and he kind of came out that way too. He came out aggressive and purposeful. 
So maybe yeah. he was trying to do that. So that's, that's a fair I, theory. I definitely think he's trying to add some things to his game. Like the abs have given him some things to work on and he's trying to work those in, but he's still got to remember his basics of this game as well. Cause like we saw against Florida, he missed that puck coming up the boards. He never does that. Never would miss that puck if he's 100% focused on it. Yeah. And it, I think it's tough playing with Z. I think in the long run that, that Z plays well with guys like Makar and obviously Z and Barry had really good chemistry, <clears throat> but it's, you know, it's an adjustment because, you know, Zadorov's he's a little inconsistent. Um, <laughs> he does some weird stuff around the front of the net that you just might not know. Um, and, and, you know, that can affect a rookie a little bit, but <clears throat> you know, it, it, it's, it's something that he's, you know, he's just going to learn. And they're they're going to go through a process where the first thirty forty games of the series he's going to be learning a lot, and you know he's going to go through stretches like this. But and um, I'm not worried about it. I I don't want to like fully blame that pair either because a lot of the issues they've had also falls back onto the forwards. Yeah, the new guy line especially is still learning how to function off of Zadorov because Zadorov steps up all the time, whether it's sticking with his man or going up to try and lay a hit. And we see Donskoy and Burakovsky get their wires crossed in the defensive zone a lot and who they're supposed to be covering. And, and all of a sudden they're not covering anyone down deep in the zone. Well, I also yeah. think if you're not used to the way the Avs have the mixed pairs, that's something that you're going to need to get used to. And also another yes. thing I noticed, like, all right, last night Zadorov had a hideous turnover. Like he he loves the stretch pass, and I'm pretty sure it was Kadri's line that was out there when he tried this. But he he tried a cross ice, big time stretch pass that I I think was supposed to go to Donskoy, but it, it you know Donskoy didn't curl back for it, and then it got intercepted right at center ice, and then Z had to end up taking a penalty, and I, I think that doghoused him a little bit, but. Uh, you know, you just got to learn to to know when Zadorov's uncovered in the D zone, he might try that stretch pass, even though it's not something that you know, like the you know, like the the Maple Leafs really love doing that, but it's not a total Avs thing. Just a Z thing. I mean, so it shouldn't yeah. be too much of a problem for Kadri specifically. Then he's used to that. For he's been receiving stretch passes from Jake Gardner and Morgan Riley for the last several years. Correct. Donskoy is used to a very supportive system in San Jose. And yeah, it's good to see playing with five forwards. It's good to see that he's starting to kind of fit in with his role on the ice a little bit better in the last few games. And he's been rewarded for that with a couple of like some hardworking plays that have really helped out and his goal in, in Florida. Um, yeah. It's still not quite there yet. I just I think a lot of that really is just a system adjustment. Yeah, I mean, you could see, even all the way back to training camp, he came in to the Av system, and coming from a Sharks supportive system, he was the most F1-y F1 ever. Like, this dude was full blitz out of the defensive zone every waking moment of his life. And he's starting to figure out, okay, that's not quite how this is works usually in this system. <laughs> Yeah, he was. He reminded me of Iggy a few times the way he blows the zone like that. But you know, if it works, great. Um, but 
you just you know they really need to rein that in a little bit. Yeah, if, if it doesn't work, it contributes to the problem we're talking about now, which is you can't get the puck out of your own zone. That's where we're, yeah, we're end up hearing gets, Mark Mosier say cleared but not out. Yeah, or it gets reloaded real quick. I mean, that's that's the problem. When you fly the zone like that, it, it's much easier for the opponent to reload and, and re-enter the zone, and you know that's not helpful either. And now you've got to circle back because you're out of position. Oops. So then yeah. you can you can see that he's still kind of struggling with some of those instincts that he's ha- just having to relearn things. Yeah, but I, I mean, I love his aggressive F1 tendencies, and I love his forecheck, so... <clears throat> You know, there's a good base to build on there. While we're still talking about the defensive coverage, is Ryan Graves Jared Bednar's Nick Holden? No, oh, he's better. He's kind he's of Patrick the Nemeth. Inverse, yeah, <laughs> that Nemeth is a better answer because he's not someone who's going to get PP time or sneak in on the offense much. But Bednar seems to believe he is the do-it-all defensive guy. That I'm still not convinced that he is. <laughs> he's. I mean, I'll I, say I mean, one thing. He's got a booming shot when he uses it, though. Like it's heavy. Yeah, it's, it's maybe he, it's not super hard, but it's heavy. The problem is he just doesn't skate well enough to commit to holding the blue line ever because he'll get burned. I I like I like Graves' game a lot so far, just because he's he's consistent. <clears throat> if he can't be good in the third pair role, I mean. You can be good for that role, but just not a good defenseman. At least be consistent, and and that's all you really want to ask of of guys in the, playing down there. And he has, <clears throat> um, you know, the, well, the yeah. whoopsies haven't been. What? I mean, the the whoopsies haven't been nearly as bad as what Barb's has done so far. <laughs> well, Graves hasn't been scratched, so he does have that to his his credit. We'll see how long love lasts, but I would say for now, Bednar. Oh, and he's earned it. He's been good enough to deserve to hold on to that spot. I'm not doubting that by any means. Yeah. He's been fine. He, he hasn't lost a skate blade and spent two minutes standing still in front of the net. <laughs> <laughs> not that that would ever happen to this team. So from that, that's kind of a, a small problem right now. Um, I guess it's kind of a small problem in the grand scheme because especially as the season goes on, you play mostly at even strength. But a bigger problem in terms of how serious, like how severe it is, this this man advantage is a disaster right now. Yeah, it's... It, it did cost them the game in Pittsburgh. It nearly cost them the game in Florida. So my question before we get more serious about it is this. When facing an Avs power play, how would you prefer they decline it and go four on four instead? Because <laughs> I personally am a big fan of just having the goaltender come up and take the face off. <laughs> that would be something. He can't do that. It's illegal. Anything to get rid of the dot in the diamond. I'll take it. <clears throat> Other options I, I, that I've heard are put the entire bench on the ice. You can't possibly not call too many men when there's like 12 skaters. 
isn't I think if you do it intentionally it's a penalty shot though. <laughs> Is that for real? Yeah, because a guy <laughs> used to do it all the time. Like if he took a penalty with a minute left in the game, he'd just keep putting guys out because they just they wouldn't blow the whistle until they touched it, so he'd just make <laughs> it five on five again. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> <clears throat> I wish it's... I had some insight into how to fix what's going on. And the best thing I can say is just fire Ray Bennett right now and get someone who knows what the fuck they're doing. Yeah, it's it's really sad. I I tried to be optimistic about it on last show and don't fix it if it's not broken, but it's broken. It's just straight up broken. Yeah. I mean, all right, one one of the Tampa power plays was not really a power play, but they've gone over their last 11 and given up two goals. And, you know, this is, we've seen this kind of stretch before last season in January and February, and it, you know, it doesn't get better. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It it feels like we've already said everything that possibly needs to be said because we've seen this power play problem for years and it's, if it's it is not converting the personnel, ever, it's the system. It's the coach. You know, if there, it's there's... not like bottom five in the league, then people will say it's not bad. They've gone from seventh to seventeenth this week, and that's just an efficiency. And in all the shot metrics, they're you know they're either last or third to last. And they probably will never be in the bottom five because of the talent they put out there because Miko will hit that shot often enough to convert. I mean, they're still shooting 23%. Really? God, that tells me how few shots they're getting. (laughs) Well, they were at 30%. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So... I, I mean, I really, I just, I don't see anything beyond getting a new power play coach fixing this. It's just, what it doesn't matter who's on the ice, the same stuff happens, same stuff happens in Loveland. It's just a bad system, and it doesn't work. And the only time it does work, it's on inhuman efforts from highly talented players. It's just sad when you watch Junior and they have a better power plays with more creativity. Yeah, that's the lack of creativity is just painful. Yeah. Five guys standing around, the defense sets up its box. As long as you have one guy halfway covering the cross seam pass, they have nothing. There is no play to make. Yeah. So is this conversation just over then? Do we just need to, from now on, say, well, the power play sure sucks, but we already knew that. And well, I think that putting Sam in Makar's place is, is I'm going to say optimistically, a, a little bit hopeful. Um, and I, I hate to keep tooling on Makar, but I just I think that was just too much to put on his shoulders at the start of the, his rookie season. Um, you know that that wasn't a full time role for him at UMass. He you know he played more like Mac on the power play than he than a, a power play quarterback. So it's just he's not, you know, the incredible playmaker from the point that Barry was, and and that's not what he did in college. So it's just he's learning too many things on the fly there, plus all his issues at 5v5. So, you know, I I think if they're not going to have 
you know, a, an efficient power play as far as what the point man does. <clears throat> you know, put Sam there because Sam will move into space. Sam will pass. Yeah. You know, make dangerous passes. Right. That's um, that's the big point. I think is Sam understands how to create space. Right now, yeah. what McCarr needs if he's quarterbacking is for people off the puck to create space, which they should be. That should be part of the system. Is you have guys crossing and cutting in front and and switching things up. And McCarr would be able to find people to pass to then. But right now, they're not doing that. And McCarr doesn't have the grasp of the NHL power play system enough to know when to take the risks and, and drag defenders to him. Yeah. Cause I mean, he's been a little bit tentative from the point just because there are times when he could have moved into space or, or made a, a slightly more dangerous pass that, that he passed up and he just, you know, and in a power play that's that bad, you, you just can't give up an opportunity like that. So you know, I, I I still think he's gonna be, you know, a good power play defenseman at some point. You know, probably this year even. But you know, right now, I think it's worth it to let him concentrate on his five v five play and and work the kinks out on power play too. And I completely agree with that. I think that's how they should have started, and I've said that, that yeah, quite a few times. But definitely. How they should use him is like he's a shooter. They should use him as a shooter. He's not a facilitator. What I would do is, I, I know this is crazy, but put Makar and Sam on the same power play. And maybe not right now, because like I said, I agree with what Earl said. But this is where you get creativity. This is where you look at what you have and build a power play around that. He, he should be in the Mac bot. He should be taking one-timers. He should be moving move him around to different spots. I mean, it's the NHL. You need some creativity. You can put two defensemen on a power play, especially when you have Sam and Makar and someday Byram. Like, you can't just... When Byram's there, you're not going to just be able to say, well, we have a 1D power play. He stands at the blue line, either passes right, passes left, or shoots up the middle. Like, what a waste of resources at that point. So uh, you need to start opening the mind of what you can do on a power play. I wouldn't call Makar a shooter. But I agree that you should put him in the half Wally Mac spot because he's at his best when he's skating up and down those boards. He can create that cross ice pass with his own skating there. We've seen well, him do it live at five on five all the time. And also, what you saw a lot at, at UMass was he would drive to the net, and when three guys you know, inevitably collapsed on him, he was able to pass out of that and hit an open man. Sure, or uh, something that allows him to skate. Have an agreement with whoever the, the high forward is that he'll just circle back from a car to free him up. Yeah, or, I mean, this is a crazy idea, but call Timmons back up and put him <laughs> at the point because he's actually pretty good at the point on a power play. I mean, I watched Byron play, and granted this is junior, but in one power play, he went absolutely everywhere on the ice. He was on the left side. He was on the right side taking one-timers. He was behind the net. He was at the point. Like, when you have defensemen that can do these things, why put yourself? You don't need Ray Bennett coaching them. <laughs> well, whatever you it's do, don't off. show the Avs that tape because they'll try to beat it out of him. Yeah, you stay in right. your spots. 
it's it just makes no it makes absolutely no sense it's just and then when mckinnon was maybe gonna be out or maybe haha but then their solution was just to put comfort in the mckinnon spot i mean if they actually rolled that out in a game and that was their solution to not having mckinnon in the lineup they would deserve to lose that game they sure would i don't know I mean, what? It, again, how could it be worse? So, I mean, they're already last I mean, in the league in shooting, so... <laughs> it was pretty effing disastrous when it comes to zone entries, and it makes zero sense because you have Donskoy and Burakovsky on that unit, and they should be entry wizards, but they're not. Yeah. I'll tell you what. I would pay to watch a power play that had Timmins, Byram, Makar, and Gerard on it. Maybe, like... I would too. I, you know, maybe you don't do it all the time, but why put Gabe in front? <laughs> no, no, no. You, you want you want Kadri on that line? Or, or okay, in, in that that's fair. That's probably your purest shooter who isn't Burakovsky. Yeah. And why not? I mean, you of course wouldn't do that all the time. But if you want an umbrella, you... check this out. <laughs> <laughs> if you've had two or three power plays in a game and you're not getting much why on earth aren't you throwing another look out there it's just it's mind-boggling yeah. that this is the nhl the smartest players the most talented players the most skill the most resources and you you can't even come up with this secondary idea yeah it's mind-boggling and it's just, you had the perfect opportunity. I mean, the, the power play was so bad against the Sharks. I mean, yeah, it's like Landy's offsides was really bad, but it, I mean, the power play might have lost in that series too. Um, and it just, you, you didn't bother to make any kind of changes after all the troubles they had last year. But, and... but we are on an believe it or not. People see that they were seventh in the league and the and the power plays is okay. And they can say, I just saw Miko Rantanen score a power play goal. Yeah, they probably still think they're seventh. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, they're 17th now, okay? So... But it's so obvious to us, but it re it's really almost like hot take territory to say that the power play is so bad. I know. But until you look in the NHL rankings and they're like below 20... People won't believe it. That's why I almost oh, that should be sometime next week. I, I didn't even <laughs> want to bring it up on our first show of the regular season, <laughs> but I knew that there was no way around it because the, most people results are what matter. But if you're seeking out a hockey podcast like ours, I assume you're probably not most people either. So we're fine. Um, I, I said this on this show and other, other, other where, and I say this just generally, pretty regularly. Power play doesn't win you games, um, not long term, but it can absolutely lose you games. And if we're playing Western Conference opponents this week and not Eastern Conference opponents, I think we're pretty annoyed that that the Avalanche gave up an additional point to both Pittsburgh and Florida. Like if if, yeah. if that's instead, if that's Nashville and St. Louis, I I think the urgency on, of uh, how much we want to fix the power play is a little different. And yeah, they've still got 15 points out of 16, but it's you're going to be giving up points to you know, people that are in the playoff race with you. And yeah, it can totally right. win you games in the short term. Look at, I mean, at Edmonton's at the top of the league too right now, and James Neal, last I checked, was shooting 45% on the power play. <laughs> like, it will win well, you games the... here and there. It won't win you games all season. 
It'll the, lose the, the new tiebreaker being regulation wins rather than regulation and overtime wins. Have you they know, changed that, that in the well. standings? No, but <laughs> who cares? They changed yeah, the rule, okay. but they didn't change how it shows on their website? That's uh, correct. I don't think so. It, well, I mean, NHL.com is shit, so... We change <laughs> rules, not websites. Was that a We Play Hockey Not School reference? <laughs> <laughs> Let's uh, uh let's let's move away from this into stars and scratches because my phone is telling me there's lightning nearby, so we probably need to work on getting <laughs> to the end of the show before I have a power flash. Um <laughs> number one star of the week, Tyson Jost, hat trick against the Tampa Bay Lightning, and uh Booyah. you can really see him growing into his role as a center on this team. Please keep him there. We've already said a lot of words about him, so there's a handful more. Thank you, Tyson. <laughs> Yeah, I'd I say goaltend completely. Yeah, it was really nice to see him have a game like that. So you you say we'll goaltending? If... Yeah, my my star's going to goaltending. They're both too good to just pick one player, huh? Well, I think yeah. I don't know. I mean, no, I don't really want to pick one because yeah, Grubauer did have a little bit of trouble in the Florida game, and um, Francis has one start. Wouldn't give him a star just on one. Not like he had a shutout. But I think together, I think they, uh, like you said, goaltending is uh, it's a big part of winning. So I think they deserve a star. William Jennings star. More stars. <laughs> um, this is a tough one. I, I think I want to go with the whole second line. But if I had to just choose one, I'd probably choose Burkowski. Oh, the goal scorer. Who would uh, Yeah, even though Kadri pretty much matched him or bettered him. Um, but that, you know, that line came up big when they needed to. And in one of the games where our good friends, the three-headed monster, were, were not hitting on all cylinders. Um, I just, I, you know, I, I like the way that they sort of made up for some troubles and... You know that that could have easily been a loss last year if they were depending on Soderberg and Nieto and Calvert to come through to win the game. Not fake points, Kerf, though. Not fake points, Kerf, though. <laughs> my dogs don't handle lightning very well. I'll I'll have cut out that noise by the time we release the show. But my dogs don't handle lightning well, so let's kind of pick up the pace a little bit. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're good. I was going to say Burkowski as well. I, he's exactly what the Avs wanted him to be, and that's enough. Okay. Yeah. Who are we scratching? McKinnon's Charlie Horse. I don't have a Charlie Horse. <laughs> <clears throat> Can I scratch um, scratching Zadorov too? Scratch scratching Zadorov. Make I'm going to scratch. Uh, Ray Bennett, as usual, but that's obligatory. I'll I'll scratch Ian Cole just because even though he had a decent game last night, he's 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 smoking mirrors as far as I'm concerned. Plus minus leader Ian Cole. I'm scratching EJ. You got an A on your chest. You should lead by example first, and he hasn't done a good enough job being the general on the ice. 
And I'm finding kind of interesting. Bednar kind of called that out uh, the other day. He, he definitely, uh, he was more referring to last year, but he kind of in very nice, delicate way pretty much said that. But he still gives them 25 minutes a game. So it's fine. Um, <laughs> I wasn't expecting storms to roll through this evening, so we're just gonna. That's why we're just kind of clipping off the end of the show here. Um, real briefly, what can you tell us about how the Eagles have started their season? <clears throat> it's well, really, really ugly, but they win anyway. <laughs> yeah, Adam Werner has been fantastic. They've played five games. They've won none in regulation, but they're still three and two, and they've scored six goals at five v five in those five five games. Power play is 12%. Having some problems scoring, but they'll work through it, I'm sure. It starts with not fully committing to a veteran top six, which they've started to move away from, but they could not do it fast enough. Yeah, they they did put Bowers, Greer, and Cout together this weekend on the line, which I thought I thought that worked out pretty well, even though they didn't Until score. Greer exploded. Yeah, well, I don't think we have time to go there. <laughs> he had no. three yeah. minutes, I heard. <laughs> he had two fights at the same time. That's he got amazing. thrown out of a game twice. Yeah. Well, come on. He got I the mean, fuck you in particular penalty. I mean, the guy's bored, right? Like, the guy had over 40 points last year. Even if you want to say he doesn't have future as an abs prospect anymore, he was still one of your top players last year. And they don't even have him on the power play. I think that's such a slap in the face and pretty much saying, you know, if you want to believe in the meritocracy, you know, idealism, then there's... Why wouldn't you use him? I mean, he he's been a he's a proven AHL scorer, but yeah, they're instead they use Dries, who scored eleven points in the AHL last year, and he is for some reason their featured forward. He's one of the only ones that gets to play on the first power play unit, gets to play in like four on four overtime situations. So for now, like Earl said, it's working. They did get three win three of their last games, but they're not getting contributions from any real prospects. Timmons has one point. I think he's looked pretty decent. They're getting a lot of contributions from one prospect. That's it. Adam Werner. And that Werner. would be, yes, Werner. And I agree, Werner's been really solid. So that, that's probably the most encouraging thing. And the rest, we'll see. Yeah, sounds pretty dire. Sounds like the the team has once again forgotten the AHL is a developmental league first. Pretty much. I, I mean, a lot of it... Com <clears throat> it's just offensive problems that we've already discussed with the Avs. It's, you just apply that to the Eagles, it's the same stuff. Which is how you know it is systemic. Exactly. Kind of like how... I don't know if this is still true, but at one point this weekend I saw a stat that neither Ottawa nor Belleville Senators had a, a single power play goal. Ottawa Sounds finally like got could help them out big time. I bet he could. <laughs> Coming up to finish off the month of October, Colorado finish off the road trip probably tonight as you listen to the show. 6 o'clock Mountain on Monday in St. Louis against the Stupid Blues. After a three-day layover, they're back in transit again for a 4 o'clock Mountain start on Friday against the Vegas Golden Knights. That might be the weird holiday the state of Nevada decided to grant itself. 
Uh, if you get the network on your cable package, this one will be the first game of the season on Altitude 2, the Ocho. The Avs come right back to Denver on Saturday for a back-to-back matchup against the surging Anaheim Ducks. Then after that, it's another three-day break. So going all the way to November 2nd, if you're counting, that's five road games in eight days, followed by three days off, then a traveling back-to-back for some reason, then three days off again, then three games in four days, including another traveling back-to-back. Schedule's weird. It is weird. So what do we expect from these games this week at St. Louis, at Vegas, and then home versus Anaheim? So win them all. I predicted six points last week, and they got seven, so I'll say the same thing this week. Well, they can't get seven. <laughs> <laughs> You're setting yourself up to lose here. <laughs> it's a tough one. These are all interesting matchups. You know, I, I, like we said, this is, this is going to be a test versus the Blues. Anaheim is... I haven't seen an Anaheim game. They're on way too late for me. So I, I don't know what they're doing, but they're doing it well, apparently. They're doing <laughs> having John Gibson pretty well. well. We're doing having Grubauer and Francis pretty well, so... And playing more young than old. I'm sure it's helping them. I This is a four-point week. I, I think St. Louis, despite all of y'all's concerns, is a team that the Avs are set up to just beat into paste. Jordan Bennington yeah. is going to get exposed, or if they play Jake Allen, he's already been exposed. He sure so has. I think they get dumpstered. I think this is the game we've been waiting for, for the Avs to actually put it all together and play as close to a full 60 as you reasonably can. Avs have never won in Vegas, not once, so that's a hard L, and then I think they'll pull it out against Anaheim like they usually seem to. Yeah, I, could see I that agree with that. Pretty fair. Even though I, I think the game against St. Louis is going to be tougher than you think. I could see them win it. I could see them win like a 2-1 to one game. But I, I don't I'm, think they're going to come out and make this a 5-1 to one or something. I'm a little more optimistic on the Vegas game than you are. but I could see St. Louis going full fake tough and uh, just you know taking a million penalties against the ads. I mean, you know, that's a winning strategy. Um, last week, I was the only one to predict that Colorado would not have a regulation loss at this point, and I think they do take that regulation loss in one of the games on Monday or Friday. I I will not pick them to lose to the Ducks because that's the worst possible timeline, so I just won't put it in the universe. I agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck the Ducks. Just don't do that. Corey Perry's not even there anymore, but still. <laughs> but hey, we'll see him soon enough, won't we? Um, regardless of what comes out next week, you know, you can always find out here just real quickly before I have lightning hit my house, um, SoundCloud and your RSS feed thing and iTunes and which is now Apple podcasts and Google play and Spotify. We are burning your radio in all the places. We'll be back in your ears next week. McDonald's game I remember the best was during the 1984 Olympics. They had one where, like, if an American won a gold medal in something, you got a Big Mac, and if they got a silver, you got fries, and if they got a bronze, you got a drink. That was the one where the Soviets and the Eastern Bloc boycotted, so it's like the Americans won everything. So, every day you just lose money. Every day you just go in there, get a shopping cart full of McDonald's, and go back and watch the Olympics. Ugh.